0: Welcome to the Avenue Community Churches podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. We have been um, on a journey through our core values, and and now we've arrived at the core value to worship. And before we... Before we kind of lean into that core value, let's, um, let's just recite our core values together. Sam, Matt's going to put them on the screen. And um, they all start with the letter B, right? W, right? So let's read together. First, worship. Glorify the God of the Bible faithfully, passionately, and reverently. Witness, testify to the person and work of Christ. Work, work to equip the saints, serve the city, and cultivate beauty. Wed, unite divided communities. Walk, live with one another in truth and love. And let's recite worship one more time. It's the one we'll deal with today. Worship. Worship the God of the Bible, faithfully, passionately and reverently. Amen. Um, worship is kind of one of those words in Christendom that um, it's kind of like the Sunday school Jesus answer, right? When in doubt, uh, Who did something? Jesus? just say it. You know what I mean? You might win your extra Chick-fil-A gift card. Uh, worship is a popular word in Christianity. Even if you're not a Christian, um, even if you are not, uh, you're, you're, you're agnostic, atheist, whatever, um, worship is a common religious term. And so, I'm not going to assume this morning that you understand what I'm talking about when I say worship, right? Um, and and in a large part, I'll I be honest with you, when we created these core values and we had the first one that we put down um, to worship the God of the Bible faithfully, passionately, and reverently, I think one of the ideas that we were trying to make sure we got at is, it, and, and, and I will admit, it's centered around public worship. But public worship is not all-encompassing of what worship is. And maybe I made a mistake and I presume that you kind of understood that just because we're talking about public worship, uh, that, that is not limited, your worship is not limited to what you do on Sunday mornings, 52 times a year with the rest of us. That worship is to encompass your whole life. And so when we say we want you to do it passionately, faithfully, and reverently, that doesn't just mean when you come here. Yeah that hopefully on Monday you're worshiping passionately, that hopefully on Tuesday you're worshiping reverently. Hopefully on Friday you've been faithful to worship even after a long day of work, even after you've been exhausted. Hopefully you're still presenting your body as a living sacrifice. But I made that assumption and I want to make sure I clarify and make sure we get it straight today. I want to first start just by talking about what worship is not. Worship, first of all, is not, I know we are in the age of personality tests, and I know we're in the age of, 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 you know, like I said, talked about religiosity, but worship is not a personality attribute. Worship is not a spiritual gift. There are not those of us in this room who are more genetically predisposed to be better worshipers than the other. Oh, that's just his gift. You want to know how to offend me and to strike me deeply? Then tell me when you see me in worship, oh, Pastor Tim, he's just like that. You want to hurt me deeply? I I know that you're trying to honor me. I know that you're trying to esteem me in some ways, but you're hurting my feelings. Because you're kind of othering me. Because worship is not a part of my personality. It's just my right response. And some of us aren't better at it than others. We're not more predisposed to be better at it than others. It's supposed to be our universal response to our amazing God. Just because you're singing, it doesn't mean you're worshipping. You sing a lot of stuff, don't mean you're worshipping. Just because you're meditating and you're quiet, doesn't mean you're worshipping. Just because you come and attend a worship service, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are worshiping God. So what is worship, PT? Your all-encompassing, 24-7 worship is a response to truth. It's a confession of God's character, and it's an acknowledgment of His worth. That is what worship is. It is your response to the truth of who he is. It's a confession of his character, and it's an acknowledgement of his worth. And we do that whenever, we do it wherever, whatever season, whatever time of day, we worship. Yeah. Here's my worship, all of mine. Okay, me and Carl be on the same serious XM radio station. <laughs> Come on, man. You know, one of the funniest things, last night, we were at Emrick and um, Gracie's wedding. Uh, and the Av folks, they, it was the highlight of my night. I, I can't remember what jam they was playing, And, um, you know, we we were sitting there. We were kind of waiting on the food. But then Mike just started. Mike was just way ahead of the game. He started playing all the great dance hits before we got the food. And so I'm sitting at the table. You're supposed to be mingling. But they started playing the doom, doom, doom. And I'm like, oh, shoot. So I'm like, whoa, I better slow myself down. We ain't even got the food yet. You know what I'm saying? And so I was like, so we were signaling from the table, like, Mike, change the song. Because don't get me too wound up. Well then he just he ran it back and then I think he was playing some Beyonce. What he play? Love on, top. Love on Top. And I was like, usually, first of all, maybe it was just, you know, Connecticut, you know, psychokinesis, because I was like, oh, that's my baby's jam. <laughs> and if she jamming, I'm jamming, and I just was like, up, poop, toot, toot, boom, poop, boom, boom, poop. We ain't even got no food yet. And then the whole half table got up and we just rocked out of that thing. I was like, yeah. But it was so funny, me, Ak was dancing, and this sweet little family, they came together. As a matter of fact, it was Big Catlin and his kids uh, who came and preached Isaiah 6 to us. And uh, it was so cute. They had their whole family of five out there, and they were dancing. And uh, it was some good moves, and it was some strange moves, but they was all out there dancing. <laughs> but you could just see the joy, and you could see how comfortable they were. And then Ak was like, bruh. They have dance parties at their house. That's why they're just comfortable doing this. Because they have dance parties that you know they got scheduled dance time at their house. Because what they do, is, what they're doing in public, they've been doing in private. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. You know, usually, you know, when me and Gina, now we the old heads, and we see the young guns around, and we see these young couples, and we see them playing with each other's pinkies and stuff like that, and, and, you know, we see the arm on the shoulder. And, you know, the old folks would say, Girl, you know, if they comfortable enough to do it in public, they probably doing more in private. Okay, I'm just telling you, young guns, we know what you got going on out there. We praying for purity. Amen. Amen, somebody. It's hard out there on the streets, ain't it? Amen? You could laugh, but you know I'm right. I want to tell you worship is the exact opposite. I believe what we see you do in public, you're probably doing a little less in private. Jesus even talks about it in Luke, if you're ashamed of me before men, Come on, man. Don't tell me you turn it up more in private. We gather here together. Everybody pretty much loves Jesus. If you can't confess him here, don't tell me you're more turned up in private. I don't buy it. So don't tell me that. Oh, you know what? You know, you know, some people, that, oh, PT, I'm just not expressive here. Come on, don't play me. Some of y'all are unfamiliar with the presence of God. And we could tell. You're just like, I don't know what to do right now. You know why? Because you want to tell me that you're you're more of a 24-7 worshiper and I'm just turned down in public. And I know that's not true. Because if you practice it in private, you'll worship in public out of the overflow. Oh, this is what I've been doing. I'm glad I get to do it with my... uh, How many of y'all are literally like, oh my gosh, praise God, I don't have to look like a maniac because I can finally worship with other people who love my Jesus. Nobody else loves my Jesus. I can't break out my praise music on my job I can't break out my praise music on the practice floor. I can't break out my worship in my classroom Oh, but praise God when they tell me I can go to church Because finally I'm around some people who feel the same way about my Jesus that I do Finally anybody got some finally praises in this room today? I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Come on, man. Worship is a response to truth. It's a confession of God's character. It is an acknowledgement of his worth whenever, wherever we are. And I love this psalm because this particular psalm, it does not mention the word worship one time in it. We have no, there's no kind of evidence to assume that this person is going to temple. We don't assume that he's going to, you, you, know, you, you know, to Jerusalem. We don't, we just, we just see this brother, this psalm of Jejuthan or Asaph, and he just seemed like a regular dude in a regular space in his life. And I just want you to see how this thing kind of unfolds. I want to talk about three things that we need to be aware of to worship God. We need to be grounded in reality. We need to be committed to recollection. And we need to watch how those things change our feelings. He starts out, he says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. Can we pause? I was just so grateful uh, just to hear one of my, and I say it, I'm going to keep saying it again, that, you know what, one of my favorite cornerstone memories is when we were 40 people over at the small chapel, and we'd be singing our songs, and you know what, Nene, I believe, had must have been just a year or two removed from her mama passing, and we would frequently just hear wailing. And sometimes I didn't know whether it was praise Or sometimes I didn't know whether it was pain But we just hear it pierce through worship God I need you I don't care where you were raised. I don't care what part of town. I don't care how much your mom and them had. I don't care what race you are, white babies, black babies, Latino babies. If you've ever had the privilege of being a parent, you know that our children are better educators of what it looks like to worship than we are because they don't care, do they? When they have needs, what do they do? And can I just tell you, if you stop crying out to God, that's not because you're more mature. And I don't know what has discipled you out of crying out to the God who can help you, but you better get it discipled back in. It is the most natural instinct that we have. When you need something, somebody needs to cry out to God. I preached at Emmett and wedding yesterday. We're so good at pretending. You don't have to pretend. When we come to worship, you can cry out, I need you. You don't have to wait to set up a counseling session. You don't have to wait to talk to your deacon. If you need God now, you cry out and say, I need you, God. His brother said, I cried out to God for help. I cried out for God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord and I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I'm getting ready to do um, a, a sermon out of Genesis 37. Israel, when, when uh, uh, his kids sold Joseph into slavery, when Reuben came back to tell Israel that, hey, Joseph's no longer with us. The scripture said, and Jacob, Israel would not be comforted same kind of idea there is no consolation what this psalmist is saying that they're so stuck in the mud that there is no hallmark car there is no little scripture verse there's nothing right now they are inconsolable i wonder how many are inconsolable in this season I know some of y'all are walking in the dark of night, and it is more complex than you ever care to give us an insight into, but I know things are really wild in your life, and I just want to tell you today that if your life is really complicated and unmanageable, you are not alone. And many times in our life, that is our reality That things are hard and a little, not even a little bit, a lot beyond what we can handle. And that doesn't mean that you weren't paying attention. That doesn't mean that you weren't wise. Maybe I can free some of y'all from self-condemnation today. Life is hard. And that's been the testimony of Scripture. God doesn't bless those who already got it under control, but he seems to find the people who got messes on their hands. And this psalmist goes on to say, I remembered you, God. I groaned, I meditated, my spirit grew faint. I wonder if your spirit's growing faint today. Maybe one other is just to say this, too. This psalmist says, I sought the Lord. And many of you, you, you are doing what we were prescribed to do. That in your pain, in your distress, you go to seek the Lord. But I just want to let you know this. That you can make it your business to seek the Lord, but just doesn't mean that you're going to find him on the first step. Okay? It's all right. I, I, I was just trying to put myself in the picture. This dude is doing all the right things, isn't he? He's crying out to God. He's seeking the Lord. He's stretching out his hands untiringly. He's meditating, right? But his spirit is still growing faint. I wonder if y'all have been in that position. Lord, I'm in my word. Lord, I'm worshiping. I'm doing it. I'm trying to seek you. But my spirit is still growing faint. What does that mean, PT? It just means this. The God ain't no rabbit trick. He ain't no magic, shiny little genie in the lamp. Just because you start to seek him doesn't mean that you're gonna find him in the first five minutes. And just because you don't find him, just because you don't feel the comfort in the first minute or the first time you pray doesn't mean he doesn't hear you. And it doesn't mean he's not coming. Because i got all of redemptive history to testify that He may not come when you want Him. But my God ain't never late, is He? He goes on to say, you kept my eyes from closing. Even in the midst of discomfort, who keeps his eyes from closing? The Lord still, how many of y'all know God still provides sufficient grace even while He's not changing your circumstance? He kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago, and I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. So this psalm now moves from the reality of the situation that things are just hard and complex and there's no comfort. And the guy starts processing and trying to think through some things and he then not to ask himself. These questions, verses 7, 8, and 9. Sarah Mack, will you put those back on the screen? I want to make sure we all see those together. And I want to see if maybe these are questions that you found yourself asking too. First question, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, in anger, shut up his compassion? You know, when we're in the blender, we start at… When we're in reality, it's all of our instincts. We start asking questions. We start trying to calibrate. We're running the diagnostic. Is something wrong with us? Is something wrong with him? What's going on? And when we move to God and his character, we essentially start having to ask these questions. Verse 7, if you all know the answer, I just want you to shout it out for us. Because I think your brothers and some, some of your brothers and sisters in here need to know what the answer is. They don't know what the answer is, but maybe you can help them. Will the Lord reject forever? Okay, 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 but I couldn't hear you though, I couldn't hear you. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again, y'all? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Okay, maybe this is the problem. Has his promises failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in his anger withheld his compassion? Some of y'all need to highlight that, put it in your Bible. You need to run it back through just like this psalmist. Maybe you acknowledge your reality, but then you need to run these questions back through your mind. Has he forgotten how to be compassionate? Is he unfamiliar with mercy? No, mercy is his name. What about his unfailing love? Has that come to an end? Will we never experience his favor again? And it's an emphatic no. What I love about this psalm and the reason why, you know, I I just, I I was so infatuated with it, It because it's worship from the pit instead of the sanctuary. It's worship from the valley instead of the mountaintop. This is real life worship. See, you know what I'm saying? Like, we can come in here and placate, and we can act like, oh, everything's all nice, 52 sunnies, but the majority of your life is probably in the blender, and worship is not relegated to when you're feeling up to it. You can worship wherever and whenever. And as long as he is worthy of the worship, then you are always to worship. It's only when he stopped being worthy of the worship that you can sit down, and you tell me when that is. This is pure, original, unadulterated worship. This has nothing to do with praise teams. This has nothing to do with liturgies. This has nothing to do with pipe organs. This has nothing to do with R&B or gospel or robes. This is real worship, responding to His truth, confessing His character, acknowledging that He is worthy. And why did I choose the first point of reality? It's just because of this, that you cannot arrive at worship until you realize your vulnerability, your smallness, and your unworthiness. This is why this is so important. You cannot skip straight to, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Christian counseling world, they, they call there's a certain term called spiritual bypass, where you just kind of, you know, essentially, you don't want to deal with your stuff, and you just want to kind of slap on Jesus, 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 Jesus. And we want to get to Jesus. That's the goal of Christian counseling and other things, to get to Jesus. But you don't just start by ignoring your reality. Because it's in our reality that we realize, oh my gosh, we're in a really compromised position. How many of y'all know you are one bounce check away from financial disaster? I am one bad argument away from losing my whole family. I'm in a really vulnerable position. I realize in reality how small I really am. Like, I really am not wise enough. Most of the things going on in my world are so far beyond me, I am literally hanging on by a thread. But for the grace of God. See, in reality, you realize you're compromised. In reality, you realize how small you really are. In reality, you realize that you're not worthy. That the only one worthy of worship and glory in your life is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But you find that in reality. You don't find that by just skipping straight to Jesus. We sit and we take stock of our situation and we say, "Uh uh-oh. Woo, it's a little tight. Worship's got to start up reality, but it's got to move to recollection. When it doesn't seem as if you have enough current material, you must consciously recall material for your mind to focus on. This is why recollection is so important. Because in reality, in the crucible, in the blender, you're like, what is God currently doing that is worthy of worship? And sometimes you're like, man, everything is spiraling out of control. I got stress here, I got stress there, relational issues, money issues, I got health issues. And you're looking at your current stock and you're like, man, what is God doing right now that's worthy of worship? And maybe you're like, I'm not really sure. Well, one thing I do know is you can always go back to your catalog. And I recall what God has done. Look what the psalmist does. Verse 10, then I thought, everybody I say, I thought. To this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Everybody say, remember. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. And I want y'all to answer this question, what God is as great as our God? None! I'm going to ask you again, I want you to shout it out because I can't hear, you know, something blocking my ear. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display power among the people. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. The descendants of Jacob and Joseph, the water saw you. God, the water saw you and writhed. Can we just pause for a minute? If you know ancient Jewish literature, you know the sea is the the epitome and the genesis of all things bad. That's why when we get to Revelation and the water is still like glass, it's because he's conquered it. The mighty roaring waves, that's why Jesus steals the water. Because if you know Hebrew literature, it's always analogous to the bad things are happening in the water. But look at Psalm 77. The water is being personified. And now when God steps in and the water sees God, woo, it starts writhing. Uh-oh, here he come. <laughs> oh, man. Can I just tell you? Your problems respect God probably more than you do. Even the demons was like, yo, it ain't time yet, bro. Chill out. I'm thinking about bad memories in my mind of school day fights, and you know sometimes somebody got the best of them, and you know the person's like, all right, bro, it's over with. Jesus said, it ain't over with yet. Do you realize this is why this church is fixated on the power of God, why we have miracle prayer service nights, why we put our hands on you and pray for you every chance we get. It's because we actually believe our God is powerful. And I'll be honest with you, if your God ain't powerful, you probably need to stop serving Him. That's a bad transaction. Why are you going to serve somebody who can't do nothing for you? Why? Why? Don't make sense. My God got a long track record of defeating things that thought they could defeat him. The waters saw you. God, the waters saw you and writhe. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heaven resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. I love that. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We have to understand our reality to realize how vulnerable we are, how small we are, how unworthy we are. And then when we don't have enough material to praise God, we have to consciously go to the catalog and we got to get our eyes fixated on the things that He has done. And when we fixate our attention on what our God has done and what He is capable of, it will reshape our emotions and our feelings. Suddenly, what you probably didn't realize, some of y'all who are better English students than me, is that this psalm has suddenly moved you from despair to hope hasn't it it just kind of took you on a little journey it started out with untiring hands and being inconsolable to all of a sudden none of us in this room carer couldn't even get through the public reading of scripture without praising god Oh, he's worthy. He's mighty. He's strong. He does not fail. And what does that do? This is why you need to keep a constant dose of the Psalms and the Psalter in your life. It's because it is so rich with poetry. Sometimes mere prose cannot... It cannot do sometimes what ignites the imagination so that you can wrap your mind around how good God is. When I was reading the latter part of Psalm 77, all I could think about was some Marvel movie. I was like, man, you know what? It's probably like this guy, boom, 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 bang, boom. You know, all these people who can take whole literal buildings and sit them over here. And all these people who can grab people with their pinky toe and just, let, I'm like, man, it's just some superhuman, supernatural kind of being. The reason why you have poetry here is because you need to get your imagination ignited because your mere facts cannot wrap its mind around how great your God is. You can't comprehend it. The best thing we can do is imagine it. How do people walk across that 1000000000 galaxy and we not even see your footprints? I don't know. But as you allow yourself to sit in the emotion of the moment, it begins to change your feelings, which here now is really my last point. Is that worship is more for for us than anything else? God does not need you to confess He's great for Him to be great. <laughs> so just in think, just in case you think you're doing the avenue a favor by attending worship this morning, Amen. There's your gold star. I don't ever want you to think that. Just because you withhold worship, that makes him less worthy. (laughs) He worthy whether or not you want to say it or not. But what happens when you acknowledge that he's worthy, when you force yourself to start thinking about how he leads you like a flock, it somehow engages your emotions and it starts to settle you. If your imagination can wrap its mind around the goodness and the faithfulness and the security that you have in the Lord Jesus, now it's started to settle you, and you truly have moved from being inconsolable to "I'm all right." Some of y'all, you know, it's happened to you before. You walked into worship with all kind of baggage, and you know what? All we did was sing faithfully and preach faithfully. And when you walk out of here, you're like, "Did your circumstance change?" No, I still, I still got the bills to pay. But you walk out of you're like, but it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be all right. I'm okay. Why are you okay? I don't know. I just God is good. God is good. My God is still on the throne. My my plea is as we continue to be better worshipers, that we would try to turn to God first. We would try to go to Him most often, and we would try to go to Him most confidently. To our staff members. And then had a crazy situation he was dealing with while he was away. He was telling us in devotion that he was in the middle of really getting probably one of the most scariest bits of news that he could have received given his situation in a really long time. He says, that I didn't really know what to do. All I heard was, all I knew was that, hey, somebody told me worship changes us. And I just worship my way until I got to where I needed to go. Thea was saying, literally same stuff. I mean, man, I've been having this, I've been dealing with that, but you know what? P.T. I put on this song. I get a little nervous sometimes when I hear y'all, and you're like, "Hey, man, you know what? I'm experiencing tough stuff. Well, let me go have conversations. I think I was telling a young couple this. It's like, man, if the first thing you do when you're experiencing difficulty is to go somewhere and try to talk it out, then I, you, you gotta be careful. Because maybe what you, you may have more confidence in your ability to figure things out than the gods you serve. If I could just have enough conversations that I can get my intellect around something, I can master it. How many times, yo, how many times you got to go and try to figure things out and fall flat before you start with worship? I'm not saying that we don't bring our intellect. I'm not saying that we don't get wise counsel. I'm not saying that we don't have people wiser us inform our situation. But how many times do we have to neglect the first step to only come back to, yeah, God, your grace was all we needed. Isn't that what we always getting back to? Well, Lord, we thank you for your grace. Why not start there? I want to challenge you in the midst of whatever hard stuff you're going through right now. Do not neglect the wonderful benefit you have that has been the most therapeutic, most beautiful, faithful testimony throughout all of redemptive history to worship. Job, in the midst of his chaos, worship. Jeremy Griffin preached to us, Acts 16. What did the boys do when they're in chains? Worship. Wherever you are, whenever you are in your life, would you respond to truth? Would you confess his character? And would you acknowledge his worthiness? You could do that through singing, you could do that through whatever, any obedient Christ exalting action is worship. Let's just close our eyes for a second. I'm gonna um, pull one of my PT audibles, so make sure everybody just listen carefully. I believe he can do it again. Y'all should have heard yourself. I think that's also the testimony that I've heard from people who've come to visit. Like, Y'all are a real singing church. And it's, they're not talking about the band. They, they're like, congregationally, we sing. And it's so beautiful to hear these voices confessing what they know to be true about God.